From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. Thank you, Shaggy. Welcome, everyone, to episode 52 of Off the Record. Yes, our one-year anniversary show today. As such, I have a plethora, plethora of guests with me today. Um, firstly, in no particular order, the inimitable Stinky Pete, currently in Lancaster. I think about 265 miles, roughly, from where I am at the moment. I haven't worked it out from the other two. but um, So, hi, Pete. Yeah, thanks for coming back again, obviously. Um, returning returning for his, third, for his third show in almost as many weeks, not quite, uh, from about 400 miles away in Bonnybridge, Bonnie, Scotland. Bonnybridge? Bonnie, Scotland. No, that's not very good, you see. He's not, not impressed by that accent. That was terrible. Um, it's, it's Gordon Wallace. Gordon Wallace, who's Stinky Pete's final dealer, shall we say. Um, Flash. It's, it's, it's good as good a name as any, isn't it? You must have had that before. Surely Flash. Flash, Flash Gordon. No, no, uh, no. Yeah. Just rather, yeah. rather Gordon is a moron or the guy. Well, is a moron. We'll, we'll, go with, we'll go with that. Man. It's a safe no, appearance. That's, yeah, that's the community service nearly done. <laughs> <laughs> and last, but by no means least, uh, and bringing once again the average age of this quartet <laughs> down significantly. <laughs> or he's, I don't know how many shows he's done now, actually. But um, now that we're back on almost, not quite the same time, but we're closer. Um, ten and a half thousand miles away from down under. It's from Melbourne, Australia. It's singer, songwriter and guitarist, Austin Dunmore. Hello, Austin. Indeed it is. Good to be back. Well, well. The sun isn't shining through the, the window, not as normally is. When we speak no, to you. it's uh, it's getting into the darker months here, unfortunately. Oh, sad, isn't it? Sad. Um, all right, well, I'm going to get straight on it today because obviously um, there's four of us. In, in a packed program tonight, as the two Ronnies uh, maybe used to say as well, um, we're going to be discussing uh, our favourite singles from the year, classic year as far as I'm concerned, um, both singles and albums. We're talking about singles released importantly released in the year 1973 so you know 49 years ago um 73 (laughs) (laughs) no all right yeah um he's, he's a clown isn't he gordon Oh, Flash. So we've got 10 each to go to, to quickly run through. So we're not going to be dilly, uh, we're not going to be uh, spending too long. We can't have a chat about a song for as long as a prog rock guitar solo, for example. It'll be, it'll be more of a punk single. Um, so, again, Pete loves an intro. So I'm, I'm going to start with Pete, actually. So what have you got? I mean, 73, good year for you. 73 was my O-level year. So this was the music that accompanied me revising for my uh, my O-levels. 
sitting in the garden, listening to this stuff. It was all good. Um, yeah, I think we've had this debate many times about how there's this kind of golden period from 67 to 79 when most of the good music happened. Um, and 73, I'd argue, is right up there with 71 as, uh, as the best of the best. So it was very difficult to choose. Well, from an album's point of view, it would have been impossible. Singles was pretty tough. So um, I kind of just went with ones I liked. So that was uh, as simple as that, really. Sounds like uh, a good choice or a good decision. Always wise to go with ones you like rather than ones you hate. Yeah. In, 1980, in 1989, I had to go with ones I didn't hate. It was... Uh, oh. He wasn't impressed by 1989, did he? Even though, of course, Spike came out in 1989 by Elvis Costello, so... Yeah, you would have got one off that. Singles, so anyway, moving on. Anyway, um, yeah, 73, I love 73. Probably, I was about 13, 14. Probably the, the first full year, I was really into listening to the charts when they were uh, came out every week. Uh, I remember listening to the new, the new top 40 or the top 30 on the radio at lunchtime in the, in the school playground at Buckers Still, which, of course, Pete went to as well. It was where I was doing my own levels. Yeah, probably. Indeed. Hopefully you weren't listening to the chart at the time. No. Um, right, okay, so give, just give us your first song then. Okay, so the first one is one of my favourite singles of all time, of any generation, um, and it is a lady singer. It is from January of that year. Six weeks in the top 10, went to number three. It's You're So Vain by Carly Simon, which I absolutely love and is one of my favourite songs ever of all time. Love the words, love the backstory, which there's lots of different versions of the backstory. I um, think she's got a fantastic voice. She was a real talent. Um, and it's just a great song. So that's it. Got to number three. Written about Ned Beatty, I believe, is it not? Uh, yes, that's the rumour. But also there was a rumour it was Mick Jagger. But um, yes, Warren Beatty, I think. Is the, uh... No, Ned Beatty. No, Warren Beatty. <laughs> okay. It's a, right. it's a Beatty of some sort, anyway. <laughs> if you remember Ned Beatty and Deliverance, it was, I thought it might yes. have been quite... <laughs> You might have seen how preposterous that statement was. I think it's good. I'm just going to add that. Mick Jagger, actually, I think, who uh, is on backing vocals. Backing vocals. And the the record was produced by Al Schmidt, um, who has a book, uh, like an autobiography of sorts of his um, recording career called On the Record. Ah, oh, where they got that name from? Yeah, that plagiarism there, Colin. Yeah, shocking. Anyway, there we go, Carly. Let's hear it for Carly. Yeah, love that. I love that song. To be honest, um, she she held it. She was very uh, secretive about who it was about. Actually, for many, she was. many, she many was. years. I thought, yeah. though, fairly recently, she did. She did admit that. Yeah, maybe it was Warren Beatty. It is Warren. Only in one of the verses. Maybe yeah. not all. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So verse three. Anyway. Okay. Right. Your Has anyone else got your Sylvain in their list? No. Austin, you got that yeah, in there? Ten. You got it. Okay. Gordon, what you got next? Right. Well, 73, especially in the UK, was, was generally, you know, 
recognised as being the day, the year that glam hit. So I'm sure we're going to get plenty of Bowie Roxy bowling later on. But for me, primarily, it was a great soul year. So, so many, so many great ones that never made my list, you know. Uh, you can do magic, loads, loads of Diana Ross, loads of great sort of, I've, I've picked two, if you don't know me by now, by the wonderful Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, uh, Teddy Prendergast on vocals. So this, the whole start of the Philadelphia sort of uh, soul and at the same time going to make you an offer you can't refuse Jimmy Helms. by Jimmy Helms. Now, these, this is my prime time for soul. I mean, I, I love the 60s stuff. I love the Motown and the Stacks, but really anything for about 70 where you're, and Frida Payne through Chairman of the Board and all these bands all the way up to even Manhattan and Tavares. Prime, prime time. So two for one I'm having straight off, if you don't know me by now, which was subsequently murdered by... Uh, Mick Hucknall and Simply Red. Rest in peace. Think he he heard most things, to be honest. I didn't yeah. think it was that bad. He blocked um, me on Twitter. Okay. Mick Hucknall, yeah. You're a far but, nicer person than me, then, Colin. I thought you had absolutely destroyed it. Uh, and <laughs> Jimmy Helms, and i seen a video of Jimmy Helms doing going to make you an offer you can't refuse from about five years ago. And the man sings it even better now, and he's about 75 yeah. than he did then. Absolutely nails it. Hits that high note. <laughs> Didn't Teddy so, have a great voice? What a voice. Did, did, did. <laughs> I like Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes, but there's a, a definite line in the sand when you, you, they made loads of albums after Teddy left. Yeah. Uh, and they're all pretty horrific because yeah. obviously the voice was gone. Yeah, no, but uh, no, the Harold Melvin era was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's happening to you. Oh, yeah, your laptop. Was that your laptop up there? No, me? No, I just put the um, I, I put the uh, paper on it so I could read it and then realised... All oh, right, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> right. Brain fade. So is that, does that mean you've got eight left or was that a, a cheeky... A cheeky no, two I, sneaked, I sneaked an extra one in because I'm a greedy Scotsman. Oh, why not? <laughs> right, Austin, um, what have you got first then? You've had your so vain, I guess, but, I mean, you've got another one for us. Uh, no, I said that didn't make my turn. Oh, it didn't. Sorry, I thought you said it did. Uh, I'll uh, I'll follow with a uh, another lady singer. Uh, this uh, this actually belonged on the uh, the very first LP I owned. Can the Can by Susie Quattro. Oh, Susie. Written and produced by by Chin and Chapman. Chin and Chapman. Um, starts with a drum intro. Very uh, very unusual for a. Uh, a, a rock song chart hit uh, never plays the snare drum once, which um, is maybe by design because the snare drum they pulled on that uh, session was rubbish. <laughs> they are uh, they're going for a very stylized sound. I think they compressed everything in, uh, on the drums. The the toms sound amazing, which is what drives can the can. Um, but yeah, the, the snare drum is yeah it leaves a lot to be desired. No dynamics, very weak. Um, but uh, oh, look, it was a perfect song for Susie. Like the, her delivery, uh, it's just a great high energy rock song. There's probably mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anything else that, that that was like it at the time, around that time. Great no, song, yeah. Well, excellent. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, someone at least one of the artists uh, that we're mentioning tonight then has in fact 
shared a jacuzzi with me at one point in my life. So we, we won't go into that. Is that Jimmy Hill? I don't want to go any further down this <laughs> this is Jordan said it's like Jimmy Helms. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You wouldn't have needed a lot of water in that jacuzzi. <laughs> Are you referring to myself? <laughs> nice one. All right, I'm going to move swiftly on. Go on, tell Stand us what your song is. Good song, right? I'm going to go then for. Um, the Stones and Angie. Uh, Angie, yeah, yeah. I I got that on my reserve list. Yeah, um, yeah. Lead single from Goat's Head Soup. Yeah, um, almost entirely written by Keith Richards. In fact, the piano was uh, written. The, the piano sound uh, arrangement rather was written by him too. Um, and I was reading a little bit about it. It's strange that I. Difficult to notice it when I quickly listen to, but apparently Jagger's vocal, uh, his vocal guide track can be faintly heard throughout the song. Mm. Austin is nodding his head, so he obviously knows it's like. A, I, I know, I, I know that happens quite a lot, probably a lot more than you think. Um, yeah, and uh, on a lot of those older consoles, the uh, the crosstalk between channels uh, could be um, yeah a pain. Mm. But it was a big number one single in the US and and Australia, I believe, uh, and a number five in the UK. Not about anyone in particular, apparently, says Keith Richards. So whether it's about his baby daughter, Dandelion, Angela. Yeah, is there not a, a particularly ridiculous line in it about with no, with no money in her coats or something like that? Probably. Yeah. yeah. You knew he wasn't writing for experience there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it could have been Angela Dickinson. It could have been Ange Angie Bowie. I don't know, but he said it's not. So anyway, I, I just love that one. And um, yeah, it's sort of acoustic -y. Um yeah. And Jagger's vocal's good on it as well. He's sort of slurring his way through. Yeah, the he's, uh, he's right on top of his game in that. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. It's good to um, Right. So Angie, for me, back to you, Stinks. Well, I am to make Gordon very happy. I'm now having uh, one of my two entrants from north of the border. So oh. my, my next one is a June single. Um, it was only in the top 10 for one week. It got as high as number nine. Um, but it is Broken Down Angel by Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth. finest. Yep, Dan McCafferty on vocals. Um, it was followed a little bit later in the year by Bad Bad Boy, which got to mm -hmm. um, both off of Razum and Az. Great album, which I recently uh, got from my dealer. Yep. <laughs> which, in fact, I played this week, um, which reminded me that it was 1973 and what a bloody good single it was. So, yeah, Broken Down Angel. And I always loved it. I always thought it was a brilliant single. Um, and it deserved to do better than it did. And Dan McCafferty has got a standout rock voice. He's absolutely terrific. So um, it's, it's it's sometimes forgotten what a great singles band Nazareth were. They were a really good singer. My really white singer. bicycle and this flight tonight, yes. love hurts. Yes. Yeah, brilliant, tremendous. I prefer yeah, his, uh, the rockier stuff with his voice rather than rather than love hurts. Actually, yeah, love hurts. <laughs> yeah, I prefer him. Like a lot of the Scottish singers. There's him, Frankie Miller, 
I just love that really kind of raspy rock sound that they have. Mm-hmm. And and he was for me the best of them. So yeah, anyway, so that was that's my number two, Broken Down Angel. Okay. Is uh over to Gordon. He's gonna sneak right. okay, but next to two or three and again here, is he? Or no, 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 play with the rules, play with the rules. Right. Uh uh the first of the big guns, because as I said earlier, this was this was a year of big guns and glam like Slade and mm-hmm. and T Rex and that. So my, it's actually Bowie, and it's one I tend to forget was released as a single and did get in the top ten. So it's and they had loads of hits that year. They had Sorrow as well, uh, but I've actually went for the the. I think the lead single for Aladdin Sane, which was a wonderful drive-in Saturday. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, I think that's very underrated in the Bowie canon. You don't you don't get it in adverts like you do with with all the rest of them. But it's a it's got a great feel to it. I don't know. Mm. Is it was it still was it still Nicky Hopkins in piano or was Mike Garson in by that time? I could never I could never remember. That's the kind of album where they switched off. I might be wrong. Who? Yeah? Check it out. I thought it was Nicky Hopkins. Because there's that mad piano all the way through Aladdin Sane off the same album, yeah. but Driving Saturday, and he just had a peerless run of hits then. It was just effortless, the way that everything they just put out. And I mean, I, I do love Bowie. I'm not a mega Bowie fan. I'm not like, you know, one of these completists that has to have everything. And I think he made some absolute stinkers at the end of his well, really about Heathen and sort of Tin Machine and all that. But that was slap bang in the middle of Prime Bowie for me. And so... Driving Saturday, number two. It was Mike Garson. Was Garson by then? Right? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Hopkins. Um, and you say it's the lead single. I suppose it, maybe it was the lead single, but of course the Gene Genie was included. Yeah, Gene Genie was yeah. out at the end of '72. But um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, Austin. You're a great Bowie fan, are you? Uh, bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, not not a great uh, fan. But um, look, he was a. Uh, Duncan to know he was on a purple patch at that point. Yeah. 100%. Driving Saturday, I think, was another one of those songs that he offered to Mott the Hoople, actually. Yeah, well, actually, they, they'd never made my list, and they had a couple of really big hits then. And They were on my list. All the way from Memphis nearly made it, and I think Honolulu Boogie was in 73 as well. So was, they were yeah. quite capable. Of, I actually quite prefer the stuff they wrote themselves rather than the stuff that we gave them but yeah he, he, he was he was and obviously he gave the man who sold the world to Miss Lulu as well did yeah, yeah. and then the fun and nicked it and did a better version than both but anyway moving on controversial yeah, we, it's controversial. He loves controversy this <laughs> I do sorry provocateur back down under what have you got for us after Susie how can you follow Susie's bass guitar and her well, leathers? Uh, 1973 was a uh, was a great year for for rock anthems, and I've got a got a few in the quiver here. And uh, this one is by the Doobie Brothers off their album of the same year, "The Captain and Me." Uh, China Grove, right. China Grove, like that. Uh, the the, uh, the the tape delay on that uh, that raunchy guitar. I don't think there had ever been a guitar tone uh, quite like that. It's a uh, an overdriven Fender Silverface Deluxe, uh, and uh, just wow. Um, 
but and and the, the guitar sound and the riff just drives the whole thing. Um, uh, yeah, just a, a great a great example of the doobies uh, running on you know all six cylinders, whatever you like. Yeah, I think I, um, if if you played in a band in the seventies, like when I was at uni. Everybody played covers of China Grove and Long Train Running. I mean, they were the two of the classic covers that you that you played. You know, they were uh, they're proper proper rock anthems, both of them. Yeah, it's, another it's one like, of the bands a wee bit like Fleetwood Mac that seemed to have separate careers. You know, they had the first newbies, and then they had the kind of Michael McDonald, Michael McDonald ones, uh, two almost separate entities, but under the same banner. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. I love China Grove. I love the doobies. I really got into them with listening to the music, actually, but um, I think that was the year before, wasn't it? Um, well, I'm, I'm whizzing on quickly to my next one. And if people know me, they know I'm going to have something by South London's finest in there. Um, the Mighty Quo have got to be in there for me. And I have plumped for Caroline. Yeah, well, that's that is their standout song, isn't it? So you're, you're allowed- yeah, August '73 from Hello. Hello was the first album, rock album, or certainly that I remember. Well, probably album. I remember going and buying uh, in Two and Osborne. If you remember them in Epping High Street, I do. I do. Um, they were filed under progressive rock at the time. So um, in presumably, <laughs> someone didn't know what that meant. No, yeah. it's well, a bit ironic since they never ever progressed. <laughs> yeah, the the record deal was probably still going off their uh, their reputation from pictures of Matchstick Men. Yeah, yes, right. You're probably right. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, well, what can I say? Yeah, it's always it's always in their act that they opened it. It, it was in their encores when I first went to go and see them. Um, leading into Bye Bye Johnny when they finished the encore. And I mean, for the for about 80 years now, I think it's probably <laughs> now, it's now their opening song. Opening song, yeah. They opened yeah. it at South End at the Crisp Pavilion last month when we went to go and see them. They opened with it when we saw them supporting Skinner. They did. Well, as I said, they've been doing it for the last 80 odd years. Um, and they, um, well, they performed it at Live Aid as well. It's the second song, Rocking All Over the World, obviously, was the key start to the whole thing the whole shebang Caroline came in at number two didn't it at the second one played um, and it was a number five hit in the UK only a 31 in Australia and of course America who hadn't really didn't really have any time for them after the 60s well they had ZZ Top didn't they true they were yeah. poor men's <laughs> right Pete, back to you sir okay so this one I am going with a February release it was at number four for two weeks. It was five weeks in the top ten. And anybody that knows me will know that this is one of my favourite things ever from one of my favourite bands ever. And it is Sylvia by Focus. Okay. And no, I, I knew you were going to have that one, Peter. I, I, did, I, I absolutely love it. If, it. My kids call it my, it, it, or, sorry, it, I always call it my happy song. And it's been one of those things. It's one of those things where it comes on the radio or I play it and it just makes me happy. It's just one of those ones where the sound of it is really upbeat and it just doesn't matter how crap I feel, Sylvia 
just makes me feel happy. And, I, and I've always loved it as a result of that. Little Factoid, Focus are the only band to have had two instrumental tracks in the charts at the same time. Because off the back of Sylvia, they re-released Hocus Pocus, Focus. charted, and no one's done it ever since. So there we go. But I love it. And it's a fantastic song. And you'll be pleased to know, Pete, that I had it in my 10 as well. Because it's fantastic. Yeah. It, it's like, it, it's no, there's no words, no, no words no. to it. But it's sort of no. uplifting, isn't it? It, it? That's exactly it. It's my happy song. It is uplifting. Yeah. It comes on and it makes you go, I'm happy. Exuberant. Exuberant guitar Exuberant. melody. Exuberant yeah. guitar melodies. Yes. Exuberant. Very good. And, and you can't go on with a bit of yodelling either, actually. From <laughs> No, you can't, but there isn't any yodelling with Sylvia. So. That's all Ocus Pocus, isn't it? Well, that's true, it is. But he, he does tend to, he sort of almost hints at a bit of a yodel, didn't he? He does hint at it. He hints. Yeah, it's not oh, quite yodeling. Oh. No, no, no. False yodel. Interesting. He'd never yodeled in his life before. Really? Not a yodel. That does not surprise me. When they recorded Ocus Pocus, he just decided to yodel. <laughs> As you do. Right. Yeah. Right, Sylvia, I've got, well, maybe I could put in an alternative in that place uh, a bit later. Uh, Gordon, what have you got now? Right. I, I'm going to go back down. We've had the, the, the progressive highfalutin of uh, Hocus Pocus, and it's a, I'm going to go back, right back to basics. It was really their year, and I'm going to say from a third one, feel, come on, feel the noise We Slade. Now, yeah. I remember loving that at the time. I was only, I was a lot, you forget I'm a lot younger than you, you know, uh, you two know, obviously, uh, Austin, but the, the, the other two fogies. So uh, I was only 10 when that came out. And it sounded absolutely thrilling. And I kind of forgot how really good it was until those noisy manks revisited it just a few years back and done quite a passable verse in it uh, when Oasis done the, their cover of it, uh, which made me just go back and think what a great song it was. Now, slap bang in the middle of it, you know, squeeze me, please me. Because uh, I love you, my friend Stan, every day. Just a, a huge, huge run of hits. Uh, and still really one of the ones, like Pete's one makes him feel happy. This man wants me, you know, to get up and kick in a window or, you know, uh, head by a policeman or something like that. Something kind of anarchic. Why not? Both of which I would never do because they would fear the consequences from either the policeman or the current Mrs. Wallace. So, yeah. uh, but as I say, what a stompery a song and Noddy just giving it. But Dave Hill with the worst haircut in rock, the, the still did this <laughs> to this day and his super job guitar, which I just thought was thrilling when I seen it on top of the pops. Yeah, yeah. It was a great, it was a brilliant song. Absolutely brilliant uh, song. Yeah, yeah. But it was just that there was that massive run of hits, like Goodbye to Jane. I loved all of them. They were just so, they were just so on point. And the spelling on the covers used to fascinate me because my brother bought them off and they were all deliberately misspelled and, well, yeah. you know, letters round the wrong way and everything. And I thought, what anarchy is this? What yeah. civilization <laughs> has allowed this 
crumbling. There's a load of stuff. Well, the answer to that is Wolverhampton, and it ain't civilized. But anyway, don't yeah, I. An English teacher's nightmare, wasn't it? Slade were at the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. It was a joke, you know, like uh, uh, they used to think, you know, the English teachers, maths teachers would laugh at the English teachers. Uh, yeah, you got to get them through Slade and the spelling of their songs. And then Medicine Head had a record quote, one and one is one. So I thought, yeah, that that gets you back, doesn't it? So work that one out as well. Mm. But, yeah, it's a great time, Slade. Come on through the noise was... um. The first song uh, to come straight in at number one. Number actually. one, I remember it being a big thing at the time. Ever, but yeah, it came straight in at number one. Um, and the, the the one before was actually Get Back by the Beatles. Uh, and, and I that, think only, now it's in 69. So I think that was the only Beatles one that came straight in at number one. Yeah, and I think uh, the one after it was The Jam, was it not? The, after, after Slade. Was it not The Jam? Yeah, it was The Jam in 80. We're going yeah. underground. Going um, underground, yeah. That was a bit of a shame. I mean, straight in at one. Good song, but it was a. I mean, you think you had to sell something like four hundred thousand copies a week to do that? Then I know. Now I think you sell fourteen would get you top ten, wouldn't it? Yes. Fourteen and a half. If you if you, if you nan download something off Spotify and send you a chocolate bar, you go to number one these days, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, Slade. Yeah, I. I I haven't got any Slade in my list, actually, but I could well have had, as you say, there's so many. Uh, I, even the Christmas song I really love. Yeah, I thought it was too obvious, and it was number one for, you know, all the way through summer or something. Yes. <laughs> every summer, every summer. Austin, uh, what have you got? Well, Colin, you know how I love a bit of myth-making? Uh, mm-hmm. The... Uh, uh, I guess the importance of a band creating a legend for itself, and uh, and this one should have done that job for uh, for this band, but I don't think anyone had any confidence in it. And it's not a it's not a hit per se, but it was a single and it was released in '73. It's the Rocker by Thin Lizzy. Oh, really? And it is a it's just a great. Uh, driving guitar, uh, just upbeat song, tongue-in-cheek lyrics, um, and it should have been huge for them. I think what uh, um, what they did a couple of years later with the boys are back in town is thematically very similar, and and that is the song that did the job for them. But uh, but the rocker is maybe like lyrically the proto boys are back in town, but um, yeah. Uh, and was that still Austin? Was that still the the kind of twin uh, guitarist that Scott got him in the Mad Scotsman, or was it Gary Moore still then? No, it was uh, it was not even with Gary Moore. It was Eric Bell. Yeah, it was Eric. Yeah, Bell. Eric Bell. And that's that's what I'm, like, the Mad Scotsman was Eric Bell that I was referring to. But I couldn't remember if it was with Gary Eric Moore Bell. or Scott Gorham. Eric Bell was a Northern Irishman. Uh, well, but the who was the Scottish guy then? Brian Robertson. Brian Robertson, yeah, got it, yeah. That's right. He fell out with a lot of guitarists in his time, Phil, right enough. Yeah, Gary Moore got a bit fed up, didn't he, after a short time? He got fed up twice. Yeah, so he came back, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Black Rose. But Scott, uh, yeah, Scott Gorham kind of was the one who held it all together then eventually, wasn't he? he was beautiful the, hair. He was the ever-present one. <laughs> beautiful hair. Jealous, sir. 
Oh, is that me now? That means. Yes. Um, okay. Sticking with the glam uh, and uh, not one of those that um, would um, have made it big in the States at all. Um, but big for me, one of my, as I've said probably a few times, one of my idols back then, um, and it's Wizard. Not Slade, but Wizard. And um, their second single, See My Baby Jive. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, that's on my list as well. It's on your list? Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's, uh, yeah, it was their first number one. Stayed number one for about four weeks, I believe. Um, number 12 in Australia. Um, apparently, ABBA later acknowledged its influence on their first major international hit, Waterloo, the following year. Well, it's yeah. a very similar rhythm, hasn't it? Yeah, I could see that. Well, think about it, eh? Yeah. Um, so, Roy Wood, um, yeah, it, just excellent for me. Great songwriter. Um, yeah, uh, we mentioned it on songwriters episode last week. Actually, for me, Roy Wood, um, just one of the great pop songwriters for my for my money, uh, and a great he's a multi instrumentalist as well. I mean, even on on this single, he's on vocal, electric, acoustic guitar, sitar, cello, bassoon, baritone, sax, string, bass, B flat bass, tuba, trombone, recorders, and percussion. Yeah, the smarter. Yeah, a bit of a smart ass. He wrote Could, Couldn't he play the triangle, but it was absolutely immense on the triangle. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and well, actually, I remember watching this on a, a Saturday night entertainment show he used in inverted commas called Clunk Click when it went to number one, introduced by, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can guess. Yeah, you can guess, Jimmy Savile. Um, I remember can, it being, why, let's, excuse me. Can I just start? We we have Jimmy Savile on this podcast nearly every blooming week. We have to stop the Savile thing. It's got to go. No okay. more Jimmy Savile. No more. No more. No more Jimmy Savile. No, no, no more Jimmy Savile. Not my fault. <laughs> just, draw a, just draw a line. Just draw a line under the hole. Line under okay. Um, so that's my next one. See my baby jive by Wizard. So Pete, back to you. Okay, well, I am going with a song which is it's absolutely right out there. It's one of those songs where, when it comes on, you go, "Yeah, these they could really they could really do it." So this is September. Okay, it was number four in the UK charts for two weeks. Early for the Wombles, isn't it? Yeah, okay. uh, no, it's not the Wombles, and um, it was five weeks in the top ten, and it is. Nutbush City Limits, Ike and Tina Turner. And I absolutely love it. I, I've got a massive crush on Tina Turner. I think she has got the most amazing voice. Um, and it doesn't matter what incarnation of Tina Turner, whether it's her doing the, the later sort of the Mark Knopfler stuff that she did with your private dancer and all that, or whether it's early stuff with Ike. I, she has just got a voice to die for. Um, I love the song anyway. Um, I've, I, I think we talked about it on the live albums thing that we did. The um, the version by Bob Seger on the live at the Silver Dome 
um, Live Bullet, the 1975 album, they open the set with Nutbush City Limits, and that's a storming version of that as well. But um, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Always did. Um, yeah, and I, you know, there was a lot wrong with the marriage, um, and Ike was not a very nice person. Um, having said all that, Tina Turner, she could rock. What a great voice. And- Is that known as Sorry, Colin. So, did I, was Ike Turner actually on the record? At, well, I was going to say, is that is that not the source of one of the great rock myths? I remember Danny Baker uh, going out his tree a wee bit about it because uh, the myth was that Mark Boland... Yeah, I was going to played, say, Mark Boland was rumoured to be on it. Yeah, and he says uh, Ike Turner was probably one of the greatest rhythm guitarists in the whole history in, in soul music. And the, the idea that Mark Boland, who at best was... I adequate sort of guitar player would have been on it and Ike wouldn't used to fry Danny's brain a wee bit. Mm. So uh, I think it is, it was... I always thought she danced a bit like a big fermer right enough. Did you know how Pete she's... Great voice, but she had that big kinny. I just love her voice. She's just got a fantastic voice, so... I, yeah, she does. Just the rest I can take or leave. She's just got a great voice, and I love the song. So, yeah, there we go. Nutbush City Limits. Nutbush City Limits. Okay, Gordon, can you follow Tina? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to take his right down a side street here now. Right for the one and only time, when I ever uh, put a Eurovision Song Contest winning song in my top ten, right? And look, but Pete, what is, where, where are you going to Pete here? Where are you going to Pete? <laughs> I'm waiting for this now. Come on, yep. bring it on. Uh, it was, and I, I cannot pronounce the French version, but it was called A Wonderful Dream by Anne-Marie David. Anne-Marie David, yeah. Yeah, it followed, we, I used to watch it every year in those days, and it followed on from The Wonderful Come What May by Vicky Leandros the year before. Which you, you may remember, but I instantly fell in love with uh, 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 Anne Marie David, and they released the English version, which was called Wonderful. But she won it with the French version, which was Tout l'avec le Croissant or whatever it was. It was something like that. That's possibly inaccurate. Uh, but to ten-year-old me, she was. She was a wonderful vision, uh, and I loved it. That's basically what I said, Colin. Yeah. Basically what I said. Oh, and croissant at the end there. Yeah, you're right. With, with a wee bit of croissant added. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest winning entry for France that year. That is a shocker. I'll tell you what, maybe we, maybe we should have a Eurovision uh, episode in a little well, if while. We're gonna have a Eurovision episode, if we're going to have to have a Eurovision episode, you'll have to get my daughter on because she is literally the world's biggest Eurovision fan. In, oh, fact, well, in the car today when I picked her up from the airport. <laughs> we, we might have a date there, then we'll see, we'll see. Um, wonderful Dream, yeah, that was a side street, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, Follow that, Austin. Austin. Well, I have to. Uh, <laughs> so this guy is an Englishman that we uh, we eventually poached off you, Leo Sayer, who Ooh, I, uh, I have a great deal of respect for. I don't think he gets uh, he gets his proper due. He uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful singer and always had great talent surrounding him, uh, mm-hmm. including Chris's chair. 
from 1973, the show must go on. It must go on. It must be. Uh, <laughs> it's his only single in 73, yeah. wasn't it? His first. And like it's the, the recording stands up so well today. Um, it <clears> sounds <throat> like they've assembled a fairground carnival band. It's got banjo and tuba, great drumming, um, and and this super super vocal performance from uh, oh, from yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What I love from, and, and um, he also had a, a song in the charts for Roger Daltrey that year as well, didn't he? Did he not have a verse in Just the Boy? Yeah, giving it all away. I think giving yeah. it all yeah. away. Yeah, giving it all away. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, a. That that the following year. Might have been the following year. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think giving it all away might have been seventy three. I think I it was seventy three. I thought I seen it in the charts. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was. Maybe, maybe down under it was. Um, the following yeah, maybe later. Um, because he wrote a few songs for uh, Daltrey's debut yeah. album. Yeah, he um, did. Yeah. Um, uh, one man. Is that band one he had a vaguely similar haircut? Very similar. Very yeah, similar. that's that, was that kind of a twinning kind of a thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell you know, managed by Adam Faith in those days as well, I believe, wasn't he? He was what? Sorry. He was managed by Adam Faith when he first came out. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you might be right there. Mm-hmm. That definitely rings a bell. Budgie. 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 Um, what's in Budgie? I'll do um, my Ian Cuthbertson impersonation for the, uh, yeah, the end of the show. That's the one. I Great Welsh band. Great Welsh band. Budgie. Oh, all lo- roads lead to prog. They're not prog. Yeah, what pro- are they? Proper rockers. No, they're not, they're not prog. Yeah. Anyway, so Austin. Moving on. Austin. What yeah. did you, what were you, what's your view on the Three Dog Night version of the same song? Have you heard that? Massive hit in the States. Must have been a couple of years later. Or oh, a year. was that? I never knew that. Yeah, I got to number one, I think. It was a big hit in the States. The show must go on. Similar really? sort of fairgroundy start to it, but it's more of a, yeah, it's not quite as, he sounds quite vulnerable on the vocal, doesn't he, on the show must mm-hmm. go on. Oh. Just on the personnel, on uh, on the Sayer uh, recording, it's produced, yeah. co-produced by David Corney and Adam Faith. There we go. And uh, and and Adam Faith, I think, uh, stayed on his as his manager, and uh, he would end up working with Richard Perry, who was the producer on Carly Simon's. Your yeah. Uh, part of part of that ecosystem. And I think he may have produced the um, Ringo album as well, actually. Richard. Yeah, Perry. that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And that would have been seventy three too, I guess. Um, yeah, I think it was late seventy three. Um, okay. <laughs> My go after Leo and talking of ex Beatles with Ringo. Um, that's a few I could have by McCartney this year. Um, I've got them all on my list. What as possible from me? My list of my list of songs that Colin's going to choose. I've got all this. Right. Okay, well I haven't picked "Live and Let Die" though. I could have done. Yeah, well, uh, because it's, it's quite clearly hands down the greatest ever Bond thing. Um, Still not convinced by the line, um, the, the the world in which we live in. No, yeah, no, that's, no that's that's terrible English. That's not not good. But apparently, when you when you re, re, read it or sing it, you should be singing in which we are living. We are living, but you know, not quite the same, is it? Um, I'm, I'm sure he's singing we the, the world in which we live in. Um, no, um, and no, I'm going for the lead single from Red Rose Speedway. 
which is a number one hit in the US, um, and a number nine hit in the UK. Uh, and it's My Love. Yeah. I just love My Love. Um, it didn't get a great reception from many music critics, I think, when it came out as as it was deemed overly sentimental and lyrically inconsequential. Maybe that's his entire career. I don't, I don't know. Um, I've got to be honest, that's exactly how I would describe that song. <laughs> what I love. Yeah, but it's just a great song. <sighs> and of course, and that uh, Henry McCulloch guitar solo in there, improvised guitar solo, no less, which he is was good very guitar. unlike McCartney, who's very yeah. methodical and regimented about what people do. He, he let him play the solo as it was. Uh, he, actually, he actually suggests he had a, a, a guitar part for Henry to play and uh, Henry turned it down and said, no, I want to do this. Uh, there you let, go. Let me try it my way. And, and to his credit, Paul let him. So. And he did. But yeah. was, was, no, was he no quite a troublesome, again, another troublesome Scottish guitarist? Is there any other kinds? It seems to be. But I think he famously punched Mr. McCartney up the throat at one occasion and before he, before he uh, left the band somewhat acrimoniously. I know you like to think everyone is Scottish, Gordon, but wasn't he from Northern Ireland? I'm just checking. No, out. he was Scottish, was he? Really? Let's check him out. What's the name? McCulloch. McCulloch was a Northern Irish guitarist, singer, and songwriter, according to Wiki. <laughs> That's wrong. He was known for his work as a member of Spooky Tooth. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was brilliant in Spooky Tooth, and of course with Paul McCartney and Wings. And, uh, and of course, as I'm sure Pete would love to know, and he's aware of anyway, uh, because it was one of his favourite albums, I think, from uh, a previous year, uh, he's also the lead guitarist on the Jesus Christ Superstar he is. soundtrack. Oh, the dear. And Andrew, blah, 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 which which had a, a, a plethora, there's me using that word again today, of talent. You love that word. They were all from Spooky Tooth yeah. and Fairport Convention, basically. Yeah. Jesus so, um, Scottish mother and father. Yeah, so he was. Uh, <laughs> he was born in that well-known Scottish town, Port Stewart. <laughs> That's says, in the west. That's very the extreme west of Scotland. What's <laughs> <laughs> some water? There's some water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very big like anyway my love love it sort of long and winding roadie style piano ballad wasn't it mm-hmm. uh recorded at abbey road with a 50-piece orchestra accompanying the band with denny lane on the bass taking over from mccartney uh and it was the first time first time mccartney's name was in i think i'm right in saying this you might know this as well um austin first time mccartney's name was in the group Name, you know, Paul McCartney and Wings. I think everything before that had been Wings. Yeah. He went back and forth with that. That's yeah. true, he did. In fact, we talked about him allowing Henry McCulloch to improvise on the single and the album track. Um, he didn't go that far when it came to performing live afterwards. He insisted that he played the solo exactly like he did on the album all the way through, which is McCartney. And, 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 all the way th- all, all the time isn't it really you can't, can't blame him it was a great fantastic, fantastic. Solo. yeah yeah um okay pete back to you 
Okay, I am going with a January release, three weeks in the top 10, got to number seven for one week, and it is my twice winning song in um, karaoke. Oh, really? Wishing Well by Free, which I love Free. I don't think they recorded a single Duff track. Um, We've already established when we did the great vocalist that I think Paul Rogers is the greatest vocalist of all time. Um, And this is him and his sad song because it's basically about the demise of um, of, uh, Paul Kossoff. Um, But uh, they did a few songs about that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But I mean, this was kind of really was the uh, the end of the road song, wasn't it? It was the, the last big hit and it was the uh, it was kind of the end of the band, really. Um, uh, Rogers is playing all the guitar. Yeah, but basically because Kossoff is incapable of uh, standing upright by that stage. Um, but um, it's uh, <laughs> I arrived very, very late in Mannheim uh, when I was doing this uh, project in uh, in Germany. I was en route to somewhere else and I had to stay overnight in Mannheim and I got there so late there wasn't anywhere to eat. The only place that was open was this uh, Irish bar and they had this karaoke on and they were everybody singing was absolutely bloody awful. And um, I went in and said, are you still serving food? And he said, no. And I said, oh, I've just got off the train. Um, and he said, if you can sing better than this lot, I'll cook for you. So I said, what have you got? And I had a look at the list and Wishing Well was on there. So I said, all right, I'll do Wishing Well. So I did Wishing Well. I won 10 euros and I got cooked a meal. I was going to say, you didn't eat that night then, I'll take it. <laughs> no, I, I won, mate. I won, mate. Listen, it, it, me and Wishing Well, it's my song. That's the way to go. I do more of the you've lost that loving feeling. So I no, you're joking. I, well, I can do that, but no, Wishing Well's my thing. Anyway, so yes, Wishing Well. Wishing well. Okay, good song, good song. Good band. Very Gordon. Good. From the Eurovision Song Contest, take us away from that. We're, we're, we're going to go completely the other way then. And it's a song I think was only in the charts for maybe about two or three weeks, and it didn't trouble the, the upper echelons, oh, shall yeah. we say, kind of diddled about around the nether regions, which is no bad thing. Uh, and it's I Saw the Light by Todd Rundgren. Oh, what a song. Right, song. I always, I always think it's, a, if not a... a I direct steel. It's a maybe a dodgy cousin of um, uh, George Harrison's. Uh, what's one for all things must pass? Uh, what's Harrison's famous one for? No, my sweet lord. The other one. What it, uh, from the album? Um, oh, anyway, they've got a very similar guitar figure and a very similar guitar. What is life? Uh, what is life? Yeah, sorry. What is life? So I always think they're slightly similar. Maybe other people don't think that, but I, I think if you play the two of them back to back, somebody was obviously maybe influenced a bit by the other one, but I don't know who, I, I certainly don't know who was first. Uh, the is similar, but uh, Rundgren is uh, is more chromatic, whereas uh, Harrison's guitar line is kind of following a scale. It's like, yeah. They're, they're you know, I think it's more the probably the, 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 the pacing's, Definitely there, and the and the the uh, linear movement of the uh, the, the yeah. guitar. As I, I'm no I'm no musician at all, so I, I I I thank you for your musician's input there, Austin. But yeah, they always remind me each other. Is basically as simple as it gets, but no bad thing. Two tremendous songs, 
Uh, and you, you would have kind of thought that would have went a wee bit higher than it did. I think it only... Yeah, surprising. It's carried about in the 30s or so and that, but back on track with Todd Rungan and uh, Super Song. Yeah, 36 it got to, and uh, America it was 16. Oh, really? It's a bigger Todd hit Rundgren, than I ever thought, yeah? Todd Rungan mm. was bigger in America because he, he was one of the... He was one of the people who lived in Woodstock, the the, the place as opposed to the, the festival. Yeah, he was part of that group with Janis Joplin and Hendrix and all that lot. I mean, they were all they who all lived around Woodstock. And there's a brilliant book about it, which if you've got time to read, you should read called Small Town Tales. Um, but it's um, but it, but it talks a lot about Rungren. And one of the things about him was that he's so. In, in a way, like Neil Young, he's very individualistic. He does what he wants to do and he doesn't give a damn. Um, but then he forged this fantastic career as a producer as well. So, I mean, he's really both as a, both as a writer. Yeah. And, uh, well, building up his finest moment as a producer, they bat out of hell, which yeah. surely. Well, they, yeah, exactly. I mean, he, yeah. he's probably made more money out of that than his entire recorded well, output put together. For certain. For certain. <laughs> You, you and also, he, he had all these different styles as well because Utopia was very prog, but then yeah. the stuff was very rocky. And so, he, he's a real, he's a real talent. He's told Rumble. Just talking about making money and bad out of hell. Meatloaf and Jim Steinman never saw a dime from the record label for that. Yeah, really? criminal. They must have had the same accounts as the Basic Rollers, I think, because uh, <laughs> they never got one one square penny either. So. <laughs> Apparently, there's thirteen million dollars in basically roller money still to this day floating in the ether somewhere that nobody can lay a claim to. Wow. Uh, apparently, because nobody knows who that is. In the record labels, uh, coffers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never to be claimed. Played the songs right I saw the light. one of the best songs uh, Carol King never sang. <laughs> <laughs> It's another one of these talking about Roy Wood being a smart ass. Todd Rongan was as well. Oh, he was absolutely. One of those. You look yeah. up the art, you know, the, the personnel on the hour, say Todd Rongan. Yeah, well, it's uh, like Steve Woodward, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. Steve Woodward posted everything on everything. So. Yeah, yeah. I think there'll be another one we might have a bit later on as well. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm Good. so glad. I'm so glad you, uh, you uh, brought my love into the conversation. Um, because I had a, a like a real struggle about what to include from this year from mm-hmm. uh, Mr. McCartney. There's a there's a, a number of choices. Probably uh, probably would count as his uh, hottest post Beatles hot streak um, this uh, this year. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, the one I settled on was "Live and Let Die." Yeah, uh, it was recorded in the uh, the Red Rose. Sessions, but uh, like that, there was a like a double album's worth of material uh, mm. for the Great Speedway session, and I don't think the best songs uh, ended up on the album uh, personally. Um, but that's another story. But uh, "Live and Let Die" uh, is just extraordinary songwriting, and um, it, as far as writing for order goes, like uh, like <laughs> Paul McCartney is just. Flexing, completely flexing, um, and the, the uh, orchestral arrangement, the whole bit, amazing. I, I yeah, I suppose the uh, orchestral um, arrangement would be done by um, 
the same guy who did the band on the run sessions as well. Um, oh God, I'm having a blank. Um, George Martin was the uh, producer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't he do that? Of, yeah, the um, uh, orchestral arranger. Um, oh God, David Bowie's uh, played. Wasn't it Paul Botmaster that done the the Elton John stuff? Was it? No, Tony Visconti. I'm trying to huh? think. Of. Ah, Tony Visconti. Yeah, great talent there as well. So yeah, I, I love the the anecdote that George Michael, uh, George Michael, George, George Martin went to. Uh, they were approached by Cubby Broccoli for to do the theme tune, and they went and got uh, McCartney to do the the guide track, and and pretty much done a really good version. And they took it back to him and said, "What do you think?" And he said, "Apparently, yeah, that's really good. I love the song. Who do you think we could get to record it?" <laughs> Yeah, I think they wanted Bassey, didn't they? Shirley Bassey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe go with this guy. He's had a couple of hits. Yeah. I think McCartney did say, yeah, you can have it. If I can. I'm doing it. You're not having it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, great, great song. I could have, I mean, Helen Wheels, I loved that as well, actually, came out that year. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's good song. I remember him seeing him doing it at Hamden a few years ago. Uh, and he hadn't done any pyrotechnics or anything flashy during the whole gig. And then. When Love and Let Die, when when it comes to and it just shot and the Holy Hamden just literally defecated, I think, in surprise, Matt sixty five thousand Scotsmen just losing everything. It was a tremendous moment. That was that was a big clear up operation, wasn't it? Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, if you were down one day, that <laughs> suffered. Oh, okay. Isn't it going? Um. Right, me then, me then, and I'm going to go with um, Gordon mentioned them earlier on, or I did too. Um, Gordon was singing their praises. Um, I'm going Mot the Hoople, and um, their last song of the year, which was released in November '73, and that's an Ian Hunter song, uh, "Roll Away the Stone." Oh, uh, push, push. Hello, I love yeah, push, push. That's the one. Um, that's the one. With uh, Mick Ralph's on the on the single version anyway. Mick Ralph's was on guitar uh, before he left the band. Doing foreigner and formed Bad Company with uh, Pete's mate Paul Rogers, etc. Um, he was foreigner as well, wasn't he, Mick Ralph's? Was he in foreigner? Uh, no, he was British. Pete, he was British. Yeah, Mick Mick Jones of Ross. Oh, he played in Spooky Tooth as well. What, Pretty the well. Foreigner guy. Spooky tooth at some point. The foreigner guy, yeah. Yeah. Do you know any clash? Uh, no, there are two Mick Jones. That's another Mick Jones. Yeah, the other uh, Mick Jones. Yeah. I always get these two bands mixed up. Yeah, similar. Hang on, no, 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 no. no. Didn't Mick Jones play centre forward for Leeds United? For Leeds United. Yeah, yeah he broke his arm in the cup final. <laughs> going off at real tangents here, aren't we? <laughs> Um, anyway, yes, yeah, go on. Yeah, the, yeah, the single version had as a lot of singing vocal bridge uh, with this is before, before Mick Rouse had left. They had one of the Thunder Thighs uh, singing that uh, on, but on the album, the album came out the following year, the Hoople, and it was included on that. They re-recorded it without Mick Rouse and one of the great, the great named guitarist Ariel Bender. Ariel Bender, yeah. what a name! Was what? on the guitar on that album, and then and Lindsay DePaul did the vocal. Did she really? Oh. Yeah, she could sing. She could sing. 
Yeah, she Big and group. she also did a Eurovision song, Gordon. You must remember. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. Yeah. And Which it came in second rather than rock bottom. Yeah. Crowd as well, wasn't it? Where right. we end up now? <laughs> we're on to uh, we're on the peak. That got to number eight in the UK chart. That one as well. Roll those. Roll away the stone. Not the Did Easter song. <laughs> Very good. Along with uh, not my cross to bear by the Orban brothers. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. Okay. So this one, for inexplicable reasons, only got to number nine, um, and it was only one week, and it was only four weeks on the charts. And I do not understand why. Um, it's uh, "Street Life" by Roxy Music. Good song. Just, I just think, how is it possible that a song that good? could have been so badly regarded by the record-buying public. I mean, by any standards, and it's, how, you know, how do you define Roxy Music? Were they art rock? Were they, what you know, what were they? They were pretty well unique, and they just had this whole string of brilliant singles right through from, the, well, from 72, 3, right through till the early 80s when they had all the kind of the more disco stuff. And whether you like it or hate it, it was really good songwriting, really tight production, really well produced, really nicely played. Brian Ferry's vocals. I mean, you know, what would they, what was there not to like about Street Life? It's just a great song. Um, and it mystifies me that it wasn't in the charts for longer and didn't get to number one because it really should have done. And I love it. And I love Roxy. But um, yeah, it's a great song. So Street Life. Well, in those days, they weren't really a singles band. Maybe. Um, it, no, they weren't. Oh, I think they were. Oh, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at that run. Pajama, well, Virginia playing Pajama Rama. All I Want Is You, was not it? As well. yeah, all I Want Is You. Street Life. Yeah. Yeah. Love is a drug. Burning, love is a drug. Yeah. Love is a drug. Yeah, I mean, they're just a whole succession of brilliant singles. And I mean, you're right. I mean, their albums, there's loads of really, really good album tracks, like Song for Europe, for example, which is a great song. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't say they're underrated because they're clearly not, but they just, I don't think they get the credit that they deserve. I think they're a really, really good band. And this is a great song. Cool. Gordon. Right, I'm going to go a totally different tangent, and my next one is by Roxy Music, and it's Street Life. So, <laughs> uh, thanks for that, Pete. Throw these ones in, don't you? Yeah, aye, cheers. Uh, no, but what I would say is, and, and what what I think Roxy, where they, if anything, they deserve, or Brian Ferry deserves a bit of, uh, you know, no, certainly no praise, criticism, is he started off with this wild sound, this this untamed, and fair enough, Eno had a lot of input to it and, and things like that, and Manzanera, and then he just ended up, I mean, he had this runny wild singles, and then he just ended up distilling it, and distilling it for the next 40 years, mm. until he just left with the polish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the no, time he got to, yeah. Yeah, the time he got to stuff like Avalon, and more than this, and stuff like that, I was just totally bored with them. And I couldn't see how they got... When you think about it, there's something like seven years between Virginia Plain and and Avalon. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Which is yeah. a crazy shot. It seems like a long time. It, 
at that time because of everything that came in between. But to go for that sort of wild, kind of anything goes, and even these covers that he'd done, the solo stuff was really, you know, Hard Rain and the whole... Yeah, yeah, they were very idiosyncratic. And then he just seemed to take this lounge lizard persona, this the anti-knife price suits, and just, I suppose it's really hard to do these songs that well. And, and I mean, obviously, they were much, much bigger hits. You know, your dance leads and things like that. Yeah. So, And they're not, the thing is, Gordon, they're not bad songs. No, they're not. But, but, you know, they, they, they stand, and, I, you know, I, I like some of that stuff, but I agree with you. It's, kind, it's almost like it's two different Roxy Musics. Yeah. Because by that time, Phil Manzanera's in 801, isn't he? So he's gone off and done that thing. And I saw them live a couple of times, and they were mm-hmm. But they were that that they were they went down they went off down that kind of weird because Eno was involved as well, wasn't he? So yeah. And this kind of weird psych rock thing, um, and and Ferry went basically became a lounge. Because I remember buying Flesh and Blood, and it was about the time I started getting into hi-fi, and it was a sounded absolutely astounding. Oh, it does. I've got it on. I've yeah. Got it. it sounded amazing. Yeah, it does. But the the, it was just so slight. You know, and then, with Virginia playing and what had gone before. Yeah, because they were just songs that absolutely, you know, slapped you in the head when you put them on. They just absolutely just burst onto the scene. And I couldn't see how in seven years they had went for that to dance away the heartaches, dance away the pains, you know. And it, obviously that's the way he wanted to go. And he, he's never really, I think he just keeps making the same songs now. You know, over and over again, and it's a shame. Even the, yes. I mean, he done he done a, a, an album with Bowie covers, eh, no Bowie, Dylan covers. Yeah, these early Bowie, eh, sorry, keeps him back. Dylan covers. It, it could have been anybody. It could have been Celine Dion. He was covering. You know, he just smoothed everything right out, and it was a yeah. great shame. Yeah, and I, I keep agree. waiting on him to make one of these wild Mercury sound type albums again, but yeah. I think that's. Long. What you're saying about Roxy Music there, I mean, watered down everything, to me, is like the same with so many artists that were big in the 70s, maybe late 60s, 70s. By the time we got the 80s, it was all polished and it was yeah. all production and it was it was sort of the edge and the character of the, the music had gone a little bit. That's not to say I don't like, as you say, I love Avalon. Uh, and more than this, you know, I love their great songs. <laughs> I mean, I they're great songs, but I didn't they like are his Lennon cover. Jealous Guy. I mean, again, you look at Jealous Guy, the original, and then you look at Roxy Music, it's just like a, a smoother, polished it's like, version. It's like cabaret version, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's yeah. chicken in a basket. It's cabaret version, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. Get there. My, my 80s is, you know, like that all the time. Uh, uh, cul-de-sac though so I better move yeah. on quickly to Austin what have you got next I've got Joe Walsh Rocky Mountain Way was that 1973 it was it's uh, it, it only into the charts um, and, uh, and it's one of those songs that was a slow slow burn success it's it's so well known now but uh Back then, I don't think it made that much of a splash. Uh, of course, it's got that signature um, uh, talk box uh, guitar sound going on that Peter Frampton would use um, to great success a 
few years later with uh, Show Me The Way as well, um, mm-hmm. well Frampton Comes Alive. But uh, uh, that, that song, Rocky Mountain Way, produced by Bill when the Eagles heard it and, and Walsh was a label mate of theirs, uh, the Eagles sacked Glyn Johns so that they could go work with Bill Simchick. So they started, I think, the On the Border album. They did Best of My Love and one other track and then uh, and then dumped Johns, who thought of them as this kind of uh, vocal group um, and not a rock band at all, not nothing like The Who, and they went to they went to work with uh, Simchick to toughen up their sound, and then eventually, obviously, recruited Walsh as well. But uh, but that song started it. It's a great song. Yeah, it's it's song. one of those instantly recognisable sounds. Great song. Yeah, brilliant. Right, I'm moving on swiftly to my next one, which was um, Sir Elton John. Now, I had a few to choose from here. Yeah, I've got this down on your list for you as well. Ah, but which? Which? Well, it could be any, but I, I, I deliberately, uh, I deliberately left Elton alone because I knew you'd choose him. Right. Well, okay. Well, I'm going for the title track of his album that year. What well, would that be? Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Which was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, which, uh, I mean, a vocal triumph, I would say. Use as usual. Um, lyrics by Bernie Taupin partly autobiographical it would appear uh like a lot of his early uh earlier lyrics uh it's a lot of getting back to my roots getting back to your roots sort of thing in this occasion he's he, he wants to get back to his farm um from to leave or to leave oz and get back to the farm i think was the what he said um presumably means the oz as in you know i don't know he means australia does he um but anyway yeah he had a childhood farm in lincolnshire Maybe that's what he's talking about. Uh, I, I just love it. Love the song. Love the sound, the orchestration of it. Um, and it was a big hit as well. I mean, big hit everywhere. US number two, UK number six, Australia number four. I mean, you did have Saturday Night's All Right for Fight in that year. Um, Daniel, I think, was probably released. Yeah, Daniel was also well. that year. Yeah. Um, and then he had a Christmas song, which sort of flopped, really, when Slade and Wizard had this. Uh, we that- step into Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, goodbye, Olympic Road. That's my next one. Uh, back okay. to you. Well, so I'm going with a song which got to number 14 in the UK. I, for some reason, I didn't write down when in the year it was. And, and in fact, I didn't for the next one either. Some bizarre reason. Anyway, um, it got to number 14 in the UK, but it got to number six on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, and it is a reworking of their original 1964 hit, and it is That Lady Part One by the Isley Brothers. Was it from 64 uh, originally? Yeah, 1964 was the original version, which was, you know, them as a singing act, and then they completely reworked it as a funk soul epic because um, side one is um, that lady part one and then side two is that lady. I guess. Yeah, is that lady part two. Well done. <laughs> um, which I guess is one way of making a very long song split, you know, so that you can actually play it as a single. But um, it was it was that single 
that got me into the Isley Brothers. And I then heard Summer Breeze, which has subsequently become one of my all-time favourite songs ever in all the history. Um, then just loads of such, so many good songs in that kind of funk soul era when they did, you know, Fight the Power and Give It Up and um, uh, what was the Harvest other? Harvest for the World. Harvest for the World, Harvest yeah. The world. I mean, just, they were just, I mean, Ronnie Isley, O'Kelly Isley, I mean, they were just brilliant musicians, great singers. Um, and, yeah, I think... Was it Eddie that played the guitar, that, that, that wonderful guitar solo and all three of the songs? Was that not Eddie? <laughs> Uh, is it? Yes, it was Eddie. Yeah, it was Eddie. Yeah, uh, very underrated guitarist as well. I think. Oh, he is a very underrated guitarist. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but it, it's. I mean, on Summer Breeze and on um, all of that. Yeah, that lady and um, is it on? It's not Fight the Power. I mean, the other one now I can't remember. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I love them, and um, their uh, their greatest hits album is one of the ones that gets played to death. Um, but uh, yeah, so that lady is my next one. Okay, Gordon. Right, well, I now I'm going to actually cheat a wee bit here again. I'm going to go for a song that wasn't a single. Can I even do that? Well, probably not, but go for it. You're here, right. you're here. Well, you the might. thing is, you've you stole all the ones that I had left. You've already done them, see my baby jive, uh, and as I say, street life's been taken away. So anyway, I'm going to go with a song that I never heard until about 1981. Uh, when I purchased my heroes, uh, Elvis Costello's country album, Almost Blue, mm-hmm. and on it there was when I was reading the notes, there was obviously a couple of references to Graham Parsons. So it oh, yeah. often happens it led me to actually try it down. GP, which came out in 1973, and yeah. I picked from that one the, the song, one of the songs that Elvis covered on Almost Blue how much I lied, but I could really have just picked anything for GP. It's just, you know, Sweet Sea Baltimore, Song For You, uh, Will Sweep Out The Ashes The Morning, a great, great uh, waste of yeah, talent, obviously lost to drugs, uh, as I'm sure you all know, but just, and to me, I always think he was he was how it should have went until the Eagles kind of took a wee, you know, hold of it done a rock some music on it, polished it up, and then sent it out for mass consumption, knocked all the rough edges off. Yeah. Uh, so I would go with How Much I Lied, Graham Parsons, I think. Two albums was far too little. Solo albums, obviously, had the other stuff. Uh, but much, much missed talent. Um, and the, the, the sort of vocal combination with Emily Harris, never really bettered. And I don't think she ever found a better vocal sort of collaborator as well. Um, so yeah, uh, how much I liked Graham Parsons sneaking in there at number nothing on the singles charts. Okay, it is a bit of a cheat, but we'll take it. Austin, we're all out of cheat. Well, we're talking about uh, a uh, a time that uh, that would have been. The, the peak or even the late peak of glam rock. And I'm somewhat surprised these guys haven't had a looking yet. I don't know if there's a credibility problem on their part here, but why haven't we heard from Sweet? Mm. Uh, there's a, And there's a couple of bangers I could have chosen, but uh, I'm going to mention Ballroom Blitz. Ballroom Blitz, yeah. Uh, right. Keenan Chapman uh, pen song and production. Uh, just... 
beautifully uh, plays off the uh, the the, um, uh, the two vocalists, um, Brian Connolly and Steve Priest. Uh, yeah, and and all of all of their uh, the the band's um, instrumental firepower is on on show. Great, great track. Yeah, the uh, drumming. Yeah, I mean Mick Tucker, fantastic drummer. And one of the few bands to make my father was notoriously homophobic and was offended with almost anything that he saw on top of the pops, particularly Sparks, which we've mentioned before with, with uh, uh, Ron's sort of wee Hitler moustache. But the sight of Sweet camping it up, and I think I think he wore a, a Nazi helmet and a Nazi helmet, and then was quite obviously winking and... and Pouting at the camera, sent my my working class Scottish father into just absolute rages of fury, uh, and I loved him all the more for that. So as well as a killer song, you had you know a red faced father in the corner fuming. What's what's not to love? <laughs> I must admit. Well, there was a few like that. Mud, because Rob Davis dressed up a mm-hmm. bit as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, sweet. Yeah, they were a good, a great band actually. They sweet. They're um, they're. I think they're playing Planet Rockstock this year. They're uh, they're they're still touring. There's two, them, there's two of them dead. They're all, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, the two who are dead are clearly not touring. Yeah, the ones who aren't dead who are touring. I'm, I'm only slightly surprised at that. <laughs> as as a, a Scottish journalist famously remarked when he went to see the Drifters, two of them were white. You know, they they need to stop this. There needs to be at least one member of these bands still alive. (sighs) Well, there is one member of the Swoke still alive because they are touring, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely one left. I'm not sure. Is it Mick Tucker? Did Mick Tucker die? Mick Tucker's gone. He's gone. Steve Priest died. Steve Priest is gone. Brian Connolly's been away. Who's the fourth? So Steve Priest and Andy Scott both had their own touring versions. They they're, they're oh, not right. playing together. Right. <laughs> to the back of the spoils. The sweet, where well, I could have had the sweet in. To be honest, you said they were overlooked, but I could I could have had them in Ballroom Blitz, yeah. Blockbuster, uh, uh, Teenage Rampage. Was that seventy three? Yeah, yeah. I think they're all seventy three. Yeah, I think I think. Well, sorry. Fox on the Run was maybe seventy four. Yeah, that was later on. Fox on the Run. Yeah, but, 73, yeah, 73 was their golden year. The genie yeah. chap stuff. Yeah, they must have got a little bit pissed off with Slade, though, because I think they got to number one every time. A sweet one. <laughs> yeah. Blockbuster, which I think was number one at the beginning that of the was- year. That's their only number one. But the likes of Ballroom Blitz, Teenage uh, teenage Rampage or Hellraiser. Yeah. Wigwam Bam. Number two. Right. Yeah, that was before Blockbuster. That was before they went real glam. Yeah. Uh, little Willie. Little Willie, yeah. Oh, that's another story completely. <laughs> completely. Um, let's not go down. Just leave that. Hellraiser. 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 Yeah, yeah. Hellraiser. Um, Trailblazer. Uh, me, 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 me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to spend too long on this because I've mentioned it before on numerous occasions. We mentioned Bowie. Um, I could well have had Driving Saturday, but I couldn't not have Life on Mars. Life on Mars. Even yeah. though it was, of course, originally on the 1971 album, Hunky Dory. Yeah. Is that on your list? So they're all on my list. 
All on the list. Yeah. Um, but Life on Mars, for me, is one of the greatest songs ever. Yeah. And, of course, it's not Rick Wakeman on the piano, just for Pete. Great song. Boring cinematic ballad, as I remember calling it last time we were talking about Bowie. It's superb. Um, bit of glam, bit of cabaret, bit of art rock. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And the great Mike Rock video as well, which is stupid. Yeah, it was a great video, thing. too. Yeah, it was a good, yeah, it was a good video. Rock. Yeah, back in the days, so very many videos. When RCA decided to randomly release a single on the back of Ziggy Sardas and it had insane albums, Life on Mars came out, which of course was two years old by that point. But it yeah. got to number three, I think, in the chart. So it's probably one of his bigger hits. Life on Mars for me. So back to you, Pete. Well, I'm very happy because now is the time where I can introduce my piece of prog for the oh. week. So I have chosen, I have chosen a song which got to number nine for two weeks. And it is Joybringer by Manfred Mann's Earth Band, which is a working of the Planet Suite by Holst, in particular, Jupiter from the Planet Suite, the bringer of joy. And uh, it was their first hit single post um, Maverick Man. So after they formed Earth Band. And um, they get lumped as being prog, but actually they just were a rock band that played long songs. Um, and um, they were brilliant live. And I think with the exception of Solar Fire, which I said that I need you to find for me, uh, Gordon. It's, it's on the list. I think I've got everything else they ever did, and I love them to bits, and um, Joybringer is fantastic and is another song that makes me very happy, partly because it's a happy song and partly because I can get a prog reference into this podcast. So there we go. Well, I've got the Beatles in, so I don't have to see well, you. Indeed. But we like to see you happy, Pete. We like to see you happy. I, I, I realise this. Yes. Gordon, what makes hey, you I'm, I'm going to I'm uh, going to lower the, the the tone again with one of these pop stars who just can he seem to exist for the very reason to be a pop star. So uh, following on from Gary Glitter and the namesakes, uh, I think it was very much a, an attempt to copy Gary. Was a, it was that one hit wonder because I think it had two hits. Or maybe even three, but it was a song that I loved and played incessantly on in 1973, and it was to this day still as happy tune and Pete style, and it was Dancing on a Saturday Night by Barry Blue. Barry Blue. Barry Blue. So Barry it was. Blue. I loved. It was one of the first singles I ever bought, and I had a slightly psychotic older brother who was four years older than me. Who, whenever he was particularly needing cigarettes or something like that, would take out my latest single and swap it. So sadly, that was that was the fate that befell my copy of Dancing on a Saturday Night with Barry Blue. It was there one day, and then it suddenly wasn't. Uh, and my brother was quite a bit four years. He was quite a bit bigger than me, so there was no retribution to be had. No. It was. It was gone, never to return. But so we're saying that Barry Blue got substituted for a packet of uh, 20 number six. 
28 Embassy Regal, I think, was the cigarette of choice up in Scotland at that time. Uh, so Barry was gone and 20 filter tips was in his place. Uh, but to this day, the, the sort of intro, and he always had quite a bit of balalaika. Is it balalaika? I think. Certainly, you know, the Russian kind of yeah, strings. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a balalaika. Austin might be able to clue us in on that. Um, and he always, because his follow-up was a song called Do You Want to Dance? Do You Want to Dance, yeah. And I think he's, I remember him on top of the pops having cossack style dancers doing, you know, the hey, hey, Ken the sort of hey, that bit. So he always seems to have a lot of balalaika and Russian themes going in. So uh, there we go. Agree? I'm not sure if you've heard it, Austin, but I want to look up after it. Dancing on a Saturday night. I'm not sure if that was a Chin and Chapman song as well, or maybe a production, because he did write his own songs, Barry Blue. Wrote a few other hits, but escaped me at the moment. So, there you go. Pure glam, for the sake of it. Yeah, they wrote a song called School Love. School Love, again. Very dodgy title nowadays. It would probably lend you. Get the cell next to Gary Glitter. But in those days, we turned, we turned the other cheek for these kind of things. Literally. Anyway, the song, the song you believe it was actually written, uh, co-written by Barry Blue, uh-huh. and uh, the aforementioned Lindsay, Lindsay DePaul. DePaul. I knew there was a connection, yeah. I, I did read that only a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, but great bubblegum. I would say more bubblegum pop than glam, really. Definitely bubblegum, yeah. Yeah. It's good song, though. I would say. Yeah. So, good okay. song. Austin, what have you got now? Uh, yeah, um, so veering into, uh, I guess, what do you call this country pop? Um, Dixie, I don't know what, uh, Midnight at the Oasis by Maria Muldor. Muldor, yeah. Beautiful song. Great album, that's another. Another one that's uh, still a lineup of uh, musicians. The um, the guitar solo on uh, on Midnight at the Oasis. Um, who played? I think Amos Garrett. But Roy Cooter's featured on the album, and yeah, uh, Doctor John plays piano all over it as well. Um, not sure who wrote the song. Might have to look that up. But um, uh, yeah, um, it was it was a big hit in at least. Uh, Australia, as far as I know, um, it was a big hit here too. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a big hit here. Yeah, um, it's, she's got a beautiful voice, isn't she? Yeah, and then did some kind of session work and whatever. Uh, so I'm just looking at the producers. It's uh, Lenny Waronka and Joe Boyd and Judy Maisel and Don Landy engineered, uh, who. Um, would end up uh, engineering um, for Ted Templeman, a lot of Ted Templeman stuff, including the Van Halen catalogue. Mm. Uh, so mm. pretty, pretty very curious there. Um, the, uh, the song Midnight at the Oasis, uh, I've, I've got a feeling I will recognise the uh, writer. David, David Nickturn, it says here, wrote it. Oh, okay. You must, I think... I get a feeling he was one of the musicians on the session. Uh, I can look that up as well. Uh, I never knew she was yeah. such a big, a big friend of, uh, of Bob Dylan until the 
I seen the Rolling Thunder review film a couple of years back, and she was in quite in that, I know. So that was one of her muckers to hang about with her one evening was Mr. Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, David, yeah, he was on acoustic guitar on the on the song. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good there's song. a lot of talent on that album. Yeah, so there it's you quite, go. Quite surprising. I was surprised to, to hear a little bit more of Maria Moldar on that album, and it is sort of quite country-ish. But I wouldn't call Midnight at the Oasis country, really. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it, there, there's definitely some overt kind of country slash bluegrass, uh, like uh, Anna Garrigal songs, and mm. it's a bit unclassifiable, I think. Yeah, and what's wrong with that? Yeah, why not? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Right, my next one. We're moving swiftly on. Sorry, we got to get through the rest of them. Uh, um, and I have got a. Single released in November 73. It was his first single released in North America from his second album. Um, Title track of his second album, in fact. Based on his real-life experiences as a lounge musician in Los Angeles from 1972 to 1973. And it's Billy Joel and it's Piano Man. Another one where, um, yeah, that's another one where, uh, you know, like he uh, he nailed his uh, his uh, origin story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great song, and like we were talking the other week with uh, you, Gordon, Elvis Costello, and you, Pete, we're talking about Elvis Costello and his um lyrics and the, the wordplay that you can come up with. I mean, some of my one of my, my favorite lines in Piano Man is. And, and the waitress is practicing politics as the businessmen slowly get stoned. Um, yes, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. I mean, I just love that line. Um, he's, he's like 23 or 24 at the time that he writes. Mm. I mean, it was a total flop here, but it was uh, top, well, top 30 in the States and top 20 in Australia, actually. And even now, it probably is my favourite, certainly single. I think it's his best ever single, Billy Joel. And apart from maybe scenes from an Italian restaurant from A Stranger, I think, which I think is his own personal favourite of his own songs, uh, it's it's one of the best Billy Joel songs, full stop, in my opinion. For what it's worth, Piano Man, Billy Joel. Big fan of Billy Joel. That was on my list, actually. Good. Okay. Pete, we're nearly there now, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going this time with, um, I think, one of the standout albums of 1973, which spawned three hit singles. Um, and I could have chosen any one of the three, uh, but I'm going for the one which was released in March. Uh, three weeks in the top ten, number six for one week. Hello, hooray! By Alice Cooper, off Hello, Billion Hooray. Dollar Babies, and uh, that was uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy, um, and obviously Elected, which was uh, um, brought out when he was doing his uh, pretending to run to be president against Tricky Dicky. Um, but I, that. That Billion Dollar Babies album 
which I have a pristine copy of, by the way, including with the big fold-out dollar bill, um, is um, I think I think it's his best album. Um, is that one of, one of Gordon's supplies? Or is that no, 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 no. I've got tell us what I'm actually ready to ship. I, 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 bought it, I bought it when it came out. I, I paid money for it in a record shop. Um, but um, it's, it's not his best album. It's their best album. It was uh, yeah. back when they were still a band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, they they were a really good band. And there isn't, a, I mean, there's some questionable lyrics on some of the songs, but there is on all of Alice's stuff. Um, but, um, but very but, unusual for the seventies. Yeah, very. Um, <laughs> but it's. But all of the tracks on that, all of the tracks on the album are great. I love it, and I play. I still play a lot. But um, but but I think "Hello Hooray" just tips it on balance as being my as being my favourite. So yeah, one I chose. It's uh, just got a really good sound to it. Big, loud, big production. Yeah, it's a great song. Good rock song. Okay. Uh, so what have we got? We've got Gordon now. Right. Well, I started with some soul, and I'm going to finish with some soul. Uh, and really, what a, a big, big year for soul, and the, for the fluffy stuff like you can do magic, to stuff like you know me and Mrs. Jones. It was just so much good stuff. Barry White, who I was never a huge fan of, but some great stuff. But I'm going to end with uh, that Papa was a Rolling Stone with the Temptations. So you know, just about eight and a half minutes. He just absolutely crazily good song and a, such a departure for which the Temptations like a lot of the Motown sort of artists didn't really know couldn't they be doing the sort of Moon and June and uh, you know the sort of love stuff so obviously Marvin Gaye had his what's going on and even the Supremes had Ghetto Child and, and all this kind of stuff so Papa Was a Rolling Stone was, was the, the Temptations getting a bit you know ghetto and a wee bit more uh, with the times but just a huge rolling sort of funk sort of just roller coaster that just takes you everywhere with it and what I, sometimes I mean unlike Pete when a song lasts for about seven or eight minutes um, my limited sort of attention span is waning by the end yet, but uh, knowing this one and and I, I, strangely enough, I did hear, I did have a cover of it by the aforementioned Miss Tina Turner, I'm sure, uh, that she done in the 80s, but got nowhere near the, the brilliance. Yeah, the, the original is fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. Fantastic. yeah. It's great. So uh, start with the soul, end with the soul. Papa was a rolling stone. Whatever he laid his hat was his home, much before Paul Young. Okay. Um, I mean, we're obviously maybe going to have issues with some of these some of these things. I, I wondered whether or not it could have just been in America, but Papa was a Rolling Stone may have been 72. Uh, maybe in the UK, it, I know it was charted. It was, it was in the charts in 73. Yeah, 73, so, 73 yeah. yeah, so, yeah. All right, fair dues. Fair dues. Um, Austin, over to you, sir. Well, uh, I'm out because uh, I've put, uh, put, put down eight and uh, uh, and the uh, the other two uh, you already covered off uh, Elton and Billy. Um, I will I will finish with one that I had originally, but um, is out on a technicality because uh, we already mentioned it in our 1974 oh, no. show. We'll I go think for the rules it. around that were uh, if it had 
chart released or charted in in the year. But um, mm-hmm. I was going to uh, talk about the Joker. Um, yeah, that was just uh, three, wasn't it? Miller Band, and uh, that one is um, uh, yeah, like just fits the uh, the, the criteria of um, uh, the, uh, the the myth making, like the. Uh, an audience is always trying to uh, work out who an artist is. You know, should I should I like your stuff? You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, yeah. and 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 things like Piano Man and the Rocker and the the Joker, they they, they do the job of, of telling the uh, the artist's persona. It's it's a very very important um, very important job. Uh, uh, or uh, for an artist to do, yeah. But uh, but we already we already covered it in another show, so um, I, like, I took it out. What we what Steve Miller did we? Yeah, it's actually it was actually released in seventy three. Yeah, I think it was seventy three. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it was seventy three. Right? I mean, it, it got to number one here about. I don't know, 16 or so years later, didn't it? I think being it was. Yeah, yeah it was re-released loads of times. It was yeah, really the Levi's advert, advert put it back Levi's in. Levi's advert, yeah, yeah it made right. number one. But I think when it originally came out, it was 73. Um, okay. Uh, and the other one you were sort of half talking about, of course, was Benny and the Jets from Elton John, weren't you? That uh, was, uh, uh, yeah, okay, so that was released in 73 or 74, depending on... Yeah, uh, it was an album. Uh, the album yes. obviously was 73, yeah. but... It might have been pressed in like uh, with, with seventy three labels, but not actually put out by the the, the record label until the following year. And there's a few. There's a few like that because um, I've the only actual singles that I've got from seventy three are Sylvia and um, Golden Earring, Radar Love, which is seventy three on the label, but didn't chart until seventy four. And I because that must have been released just before I went to see him at the Dagenham Roundhouse, but it must have charted in seventy four. Because I that when I went through my singles collection, I thought, "Oh, Raid I Love," and then I looked, and it wasn't on the chart till '74. So there's a few. Yeah. They, they probably manufactured a whole bunch of stuff and then said, "Okay, we're not going to put this out until you know, yeah. like, uh, the, yeah, yeah, the, the time's right, Christmas, whatever, the previous yeah. uh, hit, whatever else is going on in the charts." So they they have the stock ready to go, but it doesn't necessarily get released. No. Yeah. Well, well, I'm going to mention Ray I Love. That's that's on my list here. Oh well, if not, I, I didn't include it because it didn't actually chart till '74. But we are we are talking specifically released in that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was released on 16th it was, of November. It was released in December '73. And you're right, it didn't actually chart until it might have charted late '73. Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't. I, I I checked several because I wanted to put it in. It being one of my other favourite things ever. Release dates rather than chart dates, because you can have like a whole bunch of songs that were massive hits in one year, when in fact they were released the previous year. They were really big. Um, oh well, I, I I went with ones that charted. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Golden Earring entered the chart eight of December nineteen seventy three, and it got to number seven. Yeah, it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously you 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 love Radar Love anyway, so uh, there's not a lot else I can say. Um, it was number 13 in the US in 1974, probably a number seven in the UK in 1974, and Australia at number 10, again, probably in 1974. Bit of a rock masterpiece, as reason you love it, I don't, no doubt. 
uh, with its um, chugging uh, rhythm baseline um, and the riffs, the catchy chorus. You love an old catchy chorus. Um, yeah, Radar Love Golden Era. I'm going to throw that one in because it, um, it wins the uh, best driving song in pretty well every poll ever. So uh, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you put that in because I, I, I misinterpreted what we were doing. I left it out because I didn't think it was 73. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, and on a similar vein, well, this wasn't 74, but I'm going for another one then. Uh, in November 73, Living for the City. I, I got that on my list of ones you were definitely. David, yeah, there's so many. As Superstition was in the charts that year, I know, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, so was Mr. Know It All. Yeah. Now, that was definitely 74. He's just to know it all. Um, but it was released in 73 because he's off in a visions. Well, it, it was originally released, yeah, but it wasn't released as a single. Until oh, right. right. I think 70. it was 1974, April, maybe. He's I mean, that's one of my favourite all times. Certainly his yeah, song. No, well, that's why, that's why I thought, you know, that's why I didn't touch. Um, no, Living for the City is, this is one of the ones we've got in our Rolling Stone list, uh, number 104 in the all-time, yes. 500 all-time greatest songs. When we've got uh, our own list, we don't need to do this nonsense. Yes, we're definitely going to have to compile our own list. We're going to do that, Austin. Did you, you're aware. We're going to compile our own off the record um, greatest albums top, of the time. Top 500, like the Rolling Stone. Yeah. Rolling Stone or, one is shite, so we're having yeah, Greatest yeah. albums, greatest uh, singers. I mean, I don't know. We could do a whole load of bunch of singles, uh, a bunch of um, genres. or. And then we'll publish it and we'll all retire. We can. So um, you mean go to bed? <laughs> yes, that too. Uh, and Billboard, they called it a spectacular production of a country boy whose parents sacrificed themselves for him. It's brilliant song. Better yeah. don't be there. Living the foot. So do you want my do you want my last one? Oh, go on then. If you've got another one, go for it. I've got my last one and I'm finishing with another Scott. This okay. sensational Alex Harvey band. Okay. Faith, faith healer. Oh, great song! I don't think that troubled the charts, but did it? No, um, it uh, no, it didn't. Uh, it didn't. It didn't trouble the charts. Um, the seventy-five follow-up Delilah did, and so mm-hmm. Austin Tea Party, which was seventy-six. But um, so I saw Saab at Reading, and they were absolutely brilliant. And um, again, Alex Harvey is one of those great showmen, brilliant voice. Yeah. I just think Faith Healer's a great song. So uh, when I realised that was 73, I thought, yeah, that's got to be in there too. Uh, okay, yeah, that's me done. Uh, uh, just out of interest, um, Money by Pink Floyd was... That was a single in the States. It was a single in the States, yeah, number 13 on the Billboard 100 in yeah, May, yeah. but it, it, we didn't chart in the UK, so I ignored right. it. Want, I wanted to put it in. I'll have a bit of a shout-out for The Who and uh, 515. Yeah, I noticed that clip, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, that's a song. Yeah. Um, is, that, that, is that off Quadrophenia? Quadrophenia, yeah. Yeah, it was a top 20 hit here, but it wasn't a hit really in the States until the soundtrack and the film and the soundtrack to the film came out in 79 and the song was released. And yep. then it was top 50, but it still wasn't huge. Um, I think we've done all of ours now, haven't we? There's a few there. I've got loads of others that we could mention. No doubt you all have, actually. 
Uh, I'm ju- I need to mention the ones that other people have told us, our loyal, our loyal listeners and uh, viewers. In fact, I must mention Rhonda has said, talking about Todd Rundgren, he still sells out concerts in the Cleveland area. We've always loved him. His son is a football coach in the area. That's American football, obviously. Um, okay, and talking of Rhonda, I've got a few, a 10 from her. I've got uh, some we might not know. I mean, there might be more American style. You've got Can't You See by the Marshall Tucker Band. Great song. No. Yeah. Um, she's, she's giving me Growing Up on Springsteen. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a single, but yeah, I mean, we've. Gordon set the precedent now, isn't he, with um, Graham Parsons not being the singer. Just, so, yeah, uh, Shambhala, is it, or a Three Dog Night. Uh, waiting for the bus, ZZ Top. Uh, here's one for you, uh, Pete. Firth of Fifth by Genesis. Yeah, that wasn't released oh. as a single over here, because I, I, uh, I know what I like in my wardrobe was released, oh. but not until 74, so I didn't include it. Rick Derringer with Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo. That's oh, here's a, good, a here's a good song. Drift Away, Dobie Gray. Oh, yeah, that's it. Great song. Uh, and another one for you. I'm surprised you haven't got any of these in there, Pete. Give me three steps. Again, I didn't. It wasn't a single in the UK. Okay. With none of the none of released as a single, we we'll have to set none of the tracks off clearly. None of the tracks off pronounced. He's been very respectful of the rules. Where we've just drove a horse and coaches right through them. <laughs> Indeed, Ozark Mountain Daredevils with "If You Want to Go to Heaven," and the aforementioned "Faith Healer" by the sensational Alex Harvey. Get in, Alex. Um, Barbie's given us uh, "Delta Dawn." <laughs> Helen Reddy. Oh, Delta Dawn. Yeah. Uh, higher Ground, Stevie Wonder, and also You're the Sunshine of My Life. He had so many that year, didn't he? Well, they were both off talking book, weren't they? Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. Let's get it on. Uh, Susie Quattro, but not Can the Can, 48 Crash. 48 Crash. Uh, Midnight Train of Georgia, Gladys Night in the Pips. One of the greatest songs ever. Live and Let Die, McCartney and Wings. And four tops, ain't no woman like the one I've got. Another one for you, Pete. You love a bit of. Uh, I do love a bit of four tops, but you love a bit of four tops. That not was uh, one that passed me by. Uh, Clive's given me a bunch here. Some we already mentioned. Life on Mars, David Bowie, Roll Away the Stone, not the Hoople, Amorous, Kiki D. Yeah. Oh, oh Kiki. Gonna make you an offer you can't refuse, Jimmy Helms. Jimmy Helms. Blockbuster, sweet. Goodbye, Olympic Road, Elton John. Also, Saturday night's all right for fighting Elton John. See my baby jive wizard giving it all away. Roger Daltrey. And again, this is, I think it's maybe just putting take the piss a little bit for you, Pete. Tie your live ribbon by Dawn. Yeah, one of Pete's favourites. One of Pete's full time favourites. Andrew's giving me Feeling Stronger Every Day by Chicago. Uh, T.W. Collins has given me a bunch of Kodachrome. And Loves Me Like a Rock. That's some great songs. Paul Simon. Paul Simon, yeah. Right Place, Wrong Time, Dr. John. Uh, Diamond Girl, Sills and Crofts. Yes, We Can. Point oh, that's a tune. Uh, Money, Pink Floyd. Here I Am, <laughs> Al Green. Uh, Bad Bad, Leroy Brown. Jim oh, Brown. Good, good song. And You're So Vain, Carly Simon. And finally, Graham, Trusty Graham. Uh, my love, wings. 
Angie, Rolling Stones. Goodbye, Yellow Big Road, Elton John. Driving Saturday, David Bowie. Roll away the stone, Mott the Hoople. Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye. Uh, stir it up. Bob Marley and the Whalers. That, that was on my reserve list. She's gone. Hall and Oates. Oh, brilliant. Another one's been eight times, but originally 73. Uh, Piano Man, Billy Joel, and Living for the City, Stevie Wonder. So, that completes Stir the Stir it up. Right, uh, How are we doing for time? Not too bad. Hour and three quarters. Um, so, that's that's a lot, I think. So yeah. That's our anniversary. It's our anniversary, done. We start our second year next week. <laughs> Episode we all got pay rise. <laughs> 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 when you've been on four or five, maybe, yeah. Okay, right. I'm posted <laughs> that. No, hang on, before we do that, we have to form a union. All <laughs> oh, right. Part of the union, Strobs, another one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, get in. Uh, uh, we're all about unions down here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you ever. <laughs> uh, okay, this podcast will be posted to Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Breaker. On the off the record Facebook page and the CBW Productions Facebook page and the CBW Production.com uh, website. Um, I read that so quickly, it's like the terms and conditions, isn't it? Um, and also, one of these days, we will be on the BBC. And, uh, and thanks to anyone who's listened or watched over the last year. And thank you to Pete for helping me out over the last, goodness knows how many weeks now. And Austin, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on. And Gordon, for your fourth fourth show, wasn't it? Yeah. It felt like the 60th or something, but probably that's closer. Yeah. 64th, maybe. Something like that, yeah. Uh, So in the meantime, it's um, good night from me. And it's good night from him. It's good night from them. Good night from way over here. Good night. Not off. Not off. Bonjour.